When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. By now, you know that sound. It's the sound of the Home Depot. But what about that sound? You're listening to a set of GE appliances, complete with all you need to keep food fresh, dishes clean, and everything else stress-free. Making this the sound of savings on top brand appliances. The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Get up to 25% off select GE appliances right now. Offer valid January 5th through January 25th, 2023. U.S. only. See store online for details. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Who Cares About the Rock Hall, a podcast about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm your host, Joe Quazala, and I know too much about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Maybe the only time of the year where that will serve me well. If someone has questions about the news, they can <laughs> they can go straight to me, and I'm going to have all the answers. Uh, but with me, as always, is someone who uh, also has all the answers. But to her chagrin, it's Kristen Stuttered. Hi, Kristen. Hello, Joe. Yeah, this has become an oddly special time of year for me as well, <laughs> and. I really, this is, this is now our life. It used to just Mm -hmm. be your life. And then for a while, I was like, I can't believe this is my life. And now I'm like, I guess this is ours. Yeah. You have to accept it at some point, begrudgingly, as begrudgingly as you want to do it. Uh, And you're sounding crisp on the AKG. I have to put that out there. Yes. Thank you to AKG for this microphone. And let's bring in our guest, someone who we have referred to on this podcast over the years. He is a longtime music critic and editor. Most notably, though, to people, if they follow the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, he is the man who put together the definitive ranking of all the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees for Vulture. Let's bring in Bill Wyman. Hello, Bill. Hey, Joe. Hey, Kristen. Thanks so much for having me on. So, Bill, I I don't even know where to begin. First off, <laughs> Joe is thank overwhelmed you. with the bounty before him. <laughs> <laughs> no, for sure. But let's uh, let's start let's start very generally. So, you're someone who ha- has been a music critic for a long time. Before you started ranking the inductees, I want to know 
what was your relationship to the rock hall slash what were your thoughts when it first happened and let's 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 begin the story there you know that is such a good question because i'm not anywhere near the very first generation of rock critics and stuff like this but i'm kind of like 80s era is when I started writing professionally. So that's when it came. And I think it's fair to say that I have been from the very beginning on the forefront of the people who've disparaged and mocked the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <laughs> My guy. If you go back to the Vulture piece originally, and it's been changing over the years, but it says there shouldn't be a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <laughs> and, you know, there's nothing less Rock and Roll than a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many reasons against it. And um, I don't know if you guys know Jimmy D. He's a pretty well-known rock oh, yeah, from Chicago. Chicago. Oh, yeah, he's an amazing guy. We did a radio show in Chicago back in the day, and every year when the nominations came out, we ridiculed it. We said there should not be one. And there's all these reasons. I mean, one, it's not very rock and roll. Two, inevitably, you're going to have the fat cats of the industry take it over, which is exactly what happened. Um, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> well, no, honestly, Ahmed Erdogan and Jan Wenner, oh, I mean. I, that was 100% sarcasm. Oh, okay. I, <laughs> it's I, so well documented. I am 100% with you on that. I think there's nothing less rock and roll than a rock and roll hall of fame. And I absolutely think it is a self-serving, just absolute circle jerk of people uh, enjoying their own uh, wealth and fame and self-importance. And yet I still care now, I guess. But it's so much fun to talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, And you have to remember that that biography of Jan Wenner by Joe Hagen, which is an amazing book. I mean, it's called Sticky Fingers. Fingers, And I don't think there's ever been a book that had a more apropos title. And this is something maybe people don't quite get these days, that that the music industry is, and and I say this as a professional journalist who's covered the media industries his whole life and stuff like that, it probably is the most corrupt industry in the United States. (laughs) And that Mm -hmm. includes cement in New Jersey. And (laughs) it's just always been built on these, this, I always refer to it as like a three-legged stool of corruption. There's payola. You know, back in the day, virtually every song that was played on the radio was paid for by a record company, despite the fact that it was against federal law. It was based on stealing money from artists because artists are almost never paid their royalties. And there's all these structural things in the record industry that makes it hard for them even to try to sue to get the royalties. And then, of course, on the retail level, you have this price fixing where all the labels kind of basically agree to call price all records at the same price and then raise them in unison over the years. So, and that's just the beginning. And that's right, not that even and the cocaine <laughs> and everything else, right? So, of course, you're going to have that permeate this. And so one thing people have to understand when they talk about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is that these are people inside that industry and in every famous industry of famous people, you know, there's a rule for movie stars and a rule for everyone else. There's a rule for rock stars. And that's fine. That's just the way the world is. You know, it's just like if Axl Rose wants something, that's reality. And that's nothing against him. He deserves it. He's a star. Right. But they should just understand that that's one of the precepts. And then you have all these guys behind the scenes who basically live the same way. You know, I used to say that, you know, the music industry has changed so much because even someone who was like the head publicist for Columbia Records basically had the rough personal power of a governor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, they just, right. they were like these satraps. And so once you get up to the presidents of these labels and managers of multi-acts like Azoff and Bernstein and people like that, you just have people who live in these really weird worlds, right? So all those reasons come together to think this is definitely going to be a corrupt mishmash of conflicts of interest and favoritism and blindsidedness and 
all these structural inequities. And that's pretty much what happened. Exactly. Conflicts of interest too. Like this was a year for him. The thing is though, and I think you and Kristen are similar, which is that you can decry the institution. You can wish for its demise. And yet it's hard to stop talking about it. And there's a, there's a, you're drawn to it for so many different reasons. And it's delicious. It's like you keep going, you keep going back to it. Well, because people like are drawn to categorization and lists and institutions, people like them. They are just, that's like human nature. We all want to be able to put things in their little box and I mean, you made a you made a ranking of the of the artists that were in this hall, you know. Right. So I, I mean, we we gotta establish the bridge here from being someone who doesn't want the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to exist to being the person who is writing the ranking on Vulture of all the inductees. Is that something you pitch to them? Yeah. Well, it's funny because um, they there was a really good editor named Lane Brown. And New York Magazine has really great editors. Mm -hmm. And I started doing stuff for him. And one of the things I started doing is I did like Led Zeppelin, all their songs, and Pink Floyd. Exhaustive rankings of the entire catalog. Every song ranked, right? Mm -hmm. But then the joke, and they seem like listicles, right? That it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, you know, it's going to be like, you know, one line, one sentence reviews. But then they just got longer and longer. And I started kind of telling the story of the band. Mm-hmm. through it and then it's kind of a challenge to kind of start with the worst stuff and go to the front but then you want to tell the, the story of the band chronologically you know and so right, it's yeah. a fun exercise and so i did led zeppelin and the beatles and the clash and these just got longer like i think the beatles is sixteen thousand words long or something oh, like that Small <laughs> book. and they just get crazier and crazier but i really like doing them and then it turns out that in the metrics of the web there's a thing now time spent reading which for mm. ad people is really mm-hmm. good And so people would spend hours and hours reading these. And so it was like, wow, this is something that's worth investing in a little bit. Yeah, that's one you pull up in a tab and you keep going back to throughout the day, you know? Yeah, it's an investment. And I try to make it, I teach, one of the things I do is I teach narrative journalism. And one of the things you want to do is you, you know, to get people to read these days, serious stuff, you got to tell a story. So I was trying to get that story in there. So I've always hated the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I thought no one's really done enough reporting on it. And that's really one of my pet peeves too, is that nobody talks about the evolution of it and then address some of the issues of it along the way. And one of the things I'm proud of in the article is that I've talked to so many people there over the years now, and I keep adding to it every year. I talked to Jan Winter extensively. I talked to Joel Parisman extensively. So I have a really good base. And of course, most 90% of the people don't want to be talked to on the record. Yes, we know. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's shadowy. I say that all the time, but it, like it's, you know, it's in secret. It's they yeah. it intentionally there's no transparency, you know, and that's by design. And the part of the reason we do this show is to, because it's such an, we are, we're kind of investigative journalists ourselves. (laughs) No, you guys are really, it's a really good example. Like one of the things I love about podcasts like yours is that if you're not interested in Rock Hall of Fame, don't listen to it. And if you are, you guys go in depth and stuff like that. So yeah, a really good thing. We can, act like it's stupid all day long and sometimes we do but the matter of fact is it is important in the sense of it shows up in obituaries often in the headline like it is our only marker of having legendary status in not just rock and roll in music it's it's a signifier that has become so important and that like everybody uses but why doesn't anyone know about 
it and how it works. That is so true. And this is another one of my pet peeves that like, they should say that like David Bowie didn't get to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame until seven years after he was eligible. Wait a minute, are you serious? Yeah, he became eligible in 92 and didn't get in until 96. Kristen. I, d- I well, well, personally, also, you have I to forget remember. almost everything that goes on with this show, first of all. And second of all, like I do know that that 92, that's not that far into the existence of the hall. So they were probably still putting in like old school right, yeah, Booker people T who were not and... alive. But that is wild to me. No, there's a story that Yan Wenner was mad at David Bowie because Bowie was dissing the hall. And so the story is that Yan Wenner said, okay, but- but I don't think that's the case. No. I think this is David Bowie slept with boys and the Rock oh, Hall of Fame doesn't like rock stars who sleep with boys. And so all the like greed, him, they all get kind of pushed down the road a little bit. So, yeah, um, I mean, the, the the thing is about this is that conspiracy theories run rampant in the <laughs> hall in in such a funny way. And so many of them come from artists who more easily believe that there is a conspiracy against them specifically keeping them out of the hall than they can believe the fact that maybe they just have to wait a little bit to get in. No, I love those things too. Yeah, it's like really fun. It's so funny to me because when you take a step back from like an outsider perspective, you're like, is there a conspiracy theory against KISS? I know that they're not critically acclaimed, but maybe they just have to wait. 15 years to get in and that's the level of band they're in and they did get in so how how strong can that conspiracy and be and at the end out? of the day though too like you were just saying when all of kiss dies at once in a you blazing know, fire blazing fire accident. just a, a garbage can light on fire that they're all rolling down a hill in when they all die at once their group obituary is gonna say Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees. It's not going to say after 15 years, they were finally inducted into the rock and roll. Like, it's just not going to. And I'm thinking about this now, especially too, with like LL Cool J. It's, it is not going to be like inducted for musical excellence into the rock and roll category. Like, it's just not going to say that it's not. They'll say Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and like inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2021. LL Cool J, you know, died today, sadly died on the (laughs) lip sync battle, slipped in a puddle doing Rihanna's umbrella, you know, like whatever. Well, let's talk about this list. Is this fair to say that you put in your own personal taste into the rankings? That's an interesting question, actually, because it's kind of difficult to not do that. I mean, that's again, that's something we wrestle with on the show is trying to make judgment calls on artists divorced from if we like them or if we think they're good. I do not wrestle with it as much. I have no problem (laughs) being completely subjective, but that is my right as the uh, skeptical, disrespectful co-host. Well, I think that, you know, cause some people do criticize me for it. And I come from the school that like, I just write stuff and let everyone, then everyone else gets their opinion. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I don't, I, I don't feel the need to justify it, but for the record, since I'm like a white male, and again, I don't come out of that sixties or quite seventies generation, but I was kind of half progressive rock, half punk rock, half new romantics kind of era. That's mm-hmm. kind of, would shape me. Um, but at the same time, being a white male and being a rock boy and all that jazz, I kind of understand the Anthony DeCurtis's and the Yan Winners of the world and stuff like that. Because So I understand what they're talking about when they say what's rock and roll, what isn't. And, you know, there's just a reason that Kiss wasn't in for a long time, that Foreigner's not in and stuff like this mm-hmm. is because they basically 
I mean, because they suck basically. And <laughs> right. the argument that bands that suck it in, but that's kind of why. So I understand that. But at the same time, I'm kind of a, I don't want to say a historian, but Lonnie Donegan. Okay. Like Lonnie Donegan is awful. Like he's the guy who did Does Your Bubblegum Lose Its Flavor on the Bedpost Overnight. Does your chewing gum lose its flavor on the bedpost overnight? If your mother says don't chew it, do you swallow it in spite? Can you catch it on your tonsils? Can you heave it left and right? Does your chewing gum lose its flavor on the bedpost? He's the king of skiffle. Yes. You know. Skiffle? Part of this grand band, this, this um, movement in just in Britain in the late 50s, where you could play, you could play skiffle with basically just a, an empty Kleenex box and a and a little guitar and a you know a makeshift bass or whatever like this. So there are 20 of the major top 50 inductees in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame who played skiffle. John Lennon played skiffle when he met yeah. Paul McCartney. Eric Clapton played skiffle. Jimmy Page played skiffle. Like it was just the single thing that brought all these people together and it was very rock and roll and that it was homemade instruments and that anyone could play it. And in fact, Does Your Bubblegum Lose Its Flavor is kind of a stupid later song he did. And really he was doing things like Rock Island Line, which was a Lead Belly song and stuff like this. And mm-hmm. he was part of an amazingly brilliant kind of group of people in, in, in London in the late 1950s. And by any historical objective standard, he's like one of the most important people in the evolution mm-hmm. of popular music, but he's uncool because people associate him with the thing. So I think right. that's a good example of someone who I don't like, who isn't in and who should be, and I always argue for. Fair. So it's influence is a big factor into determining worthiness. Well, for you. That, yeah, that I think that's a good example. And so the hall is really into coolness. So the carpenters are cool. You know, soft rock isn't cool. So, like, I'm fine with Randy Rhodes. I'm fine with Iron Maiden. But at the same time, soft rock was a big deal. The Carpenters were a real band. They had, forgive the expression, a girl drummer, which was cool at the time. She had a great voice. And it was soft rock. And it was kind of stupid in the same way bread was in America. But that was a big genre in the 1970s. It was significant, yeah. So, so anyway, in answer to your question, I honestly, honestly, I go on artistic quality because I'm a critic. Mm-hmm. And then I go and like this, the whole stated bases, which are they violate all the time. Yeah, it, it's not consistent. So as a critic, like one thing people get mad at is Queen because Queen's way down at the bottom. I'm right? looking at that. I was just looking at the list and I was like, we all care about who's in the top and who's in the bottom. And I'm like, this is egregious. I really can't get behind this. Second to last, it feels like a bit a of troll. a, feels like a troll exactly. Okay, but it, it literally says that they were docked 30 notches. So they really shouldn't be <laughs> that low. They should be 30 notches higher. And so I try to make these things clear. So Queen, I just think, is a terrible band. It was silly. They were preposterous. See, and this to me feels like putting your own personal... One of the criteria is artistic excellence. And mm-hmm. so I'm a critic. I'm saying, and as far as artistic <laughs> excellence, they sucked. But then you also have to understand that they're a really corrupt band. And it's a really sad story what happened to Freddie Mercury, right? He mm-hmm. was gay, but he never came out of the closet. And he died really sadly of AIDS, which is a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. And I feel so bad for him. But he never acknowledged that he was gay. The band hardly acknowledged he was gay. They had this huge Freddie Mercury Memorial concert. They could have said to kids all over the world, look, if you're gay, it's okay. Freddie was gay. He was afraid to say he was gay, but you shouldn't be. We stand with you. And by the way, there's people dying all over the world in the streets, unloved of AIDS in the gutter ostracized by their family and friends and coworkers, and we need to stand up for them. And they never talked about that at all. 
there was hardly any mention of gayness and hardly any mention of AIDS in this huge concert for Freddie Mercury. That's how cowardly and awful these guys were. And then they violated the UN boycott and played in Sun City, which was an apartheid state set up for white people. And they paid rock bands like Queen. And that wasn't a post kind of thing. The UN said, hey, look at from now on, nobody plays in Sun City because we're trying to bring down apartheid. And Queen said, hey, let's go play Sun City. So this is not a band that we should have any respect for. And they have all the money in the world. They've slept with all the people in the world. They fly first class. They have homes all over the world. And they can survive being ranked low on a list. That's my defense of that. Okay, understood. It, but you know, it, it does, you get into kind of a murky area when you're making- A mercury the, area, you know? Uh, <laughs> um, um, <laughs> but, yeah, when you're getting into the morality of a band. I mean, you artist. have Ike and Tina in your top 10 and you are docking. So like when you start to do that, like I, I respect the decision to call those things out about Queen, but then yeah, like Ike Turner or say Jerry oh, yeah. Lee Lewis, Chuck like, Berry, you know, one, yeah. And Chuck, yeah, Chuck Berry certainly has a, a spotty record when it comes to morality. <laughs> so how often do you take those things into account yeah, and when question. do you do it? It's really it's really hard these days, right? No, you're asking such a great question. And one of my solutions to this, first of all, is that people just need to say what happened. And that what gets me mad is that so much time in writing these days, things are covered up. It should just be disclosed. Like it's totally great to say R. Kelly is the greatest pop star of his generation, but it should also kind of say, you know, that other stuff. And what gets me mad is when people don't talk about it. And so kind of toward the end, it gets front loaded with the ones that don't get saying up because I'll bet you there's gazillions of people who didn't know. I just, I wrote a big piece at the time and I was really mad. This is back in the nineties about the Freddie Mercury concert. And I just thought at the time, I mean, people dying in the streets with lesions all over their faces. Mm -hmm. And these guys are too cowardly to stand up. And in the piece, I say this thing about Hitler's Pope. Do you know about Hitler's Pope? that there was a Pope when Hitler was rising to power. And he basically made a lot of deals with the Nazis and stuff like this. And so people say, oh, well, he had to do that. You know, he had to preserve the church and da, 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 da. And so what I kind of basically think is being Pope is a really great position. <laughs> it's like so much fun to do that. <laughs> the only downside about being Pope is that when Hitler comes along, you gotta stand up to him, right? Yeah. And same with Queen. Being famous rock stars are great. I don't mean to be sexist again, but you get the girls, you get the money, you get the da da da, all this kind of stuff. And the only downside is, is that if your lead singer dies of AIDS, you should stand up and say, hey, this is an opportunity to help all these people who are dying in the streets of this thing. And the fact that they didn't, I think it's okay to make a moral judgment about it. That's all. I mean, I think it's good and okay to make a moral judgment about most things. I, I think we should. I, I think that's probably kind of the right call. I, I don't think that there are many things that we shouldn't be factoring everything that, I mean, I think about this a lot with Michael Jackson. Oh, too. yeah. Like, I really do think that we should, when we talk about him as an artist, we also have to talk about him as a person. We can celebrate him as an artist, but we also have to talk about the fact that he abused children. That is just like got to go hand in hand with the whole thing. And I think it's with everything. But I think it's an interesting thing to try to pull up the lesser known ones in a way. But it is also that, you know, it was the 90s, right? Was it the 90s when all mm -hmm. this went down? Mm -hmm. We can say they, are, they should, A, don't play in a, in a place that the UN says 
uh, you shouldn't, and you know that is actively oppressing people. Don't do that. It's bad. We can say it. We can know it. And I think more people should know about that. And then B, we can say, oh, they should have done like more to raise awareness and um, what's the word I'm looking Advocate. for? advocate acceptance for gay people and for people who were freaking dying of AIDS in the damn streets. And like our government was still ignoring it. And we were barely doing anything to move the needle forward. And we were saying that people who died of this deserved it and all of these horrible things that were going on at that time. But like, you know, I don't know that queen has to carry that mantle for, for everyone, you know, <laughs> I'm like, I, I, yeah, they should have, but to me, I'm like, there isn't a court case that says queen versus gay rights convicted caught on tape, like, uh, yeah, not it's, advocating it's, for gay rights. it's like, like a very unfortunate missed opportunity. It's not a crime, a violent crime. <laughs> and, and I also come out and, and again, this is one of the good things about a show like this too, is that I do come out of this thing where everyone should have a voice. I mean, that there should just be like, I don't care what other people think. I just, I think what I think is right. And I, yeah. I want to write it in a fun way and then let other people. And one of the things that worries me, particularly in the world of pop music these days is that one of my other little hobby horses is popism. And it's kind of a school of rock criticism that's really evolved over the last 20 years. And it tends to be more, hey, isn't it great what these guys are doing? Isn't it exciting? And it tends to be very non-critical. And you can basically prove this empirically just by looking at Metacritic. If you look at Metacritic movies, you'll see green, yellow, red, you know, green, green, yellow, red, red, green, yellow, red, green, yellow, yellow. And then you go to music and it's all green. Every <laughs> because album. Bruce Springsteen, five-star albums, Elvis Costello, five, U2, Metallica, R.E.M., every album is better than their last. And they all say, oh, the last record wasn't that good, but this one is so good. <laughs> They're back yeah. There is no criticism anymore. It's all rah, rah, look how great. There's all these obstacles they overcame. The last one wasn't that good because then it makes the reviewer look like he's he or she is kind of talking turkey. Oh yeah, that last record wasn't any good. So I did a story once about how Rolling Stone reviewed R.E.M., <laughs> And I forget what the album was, but it said, oh, they're back in top rock and form, but the last record wasn't any good. So then I went back to the last review in Rolling uh -oh. Stone. And, oh, they're back. It's a regeneration. It's a renewal. And their last record wasn't that good, but this one, they're back. And so I went back to the third one, mm -hmm. exact same thing. Oh, they're back, you know, the last one. So then I went back to the fourth one and they compared it to Sergeant Pepper. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's, a, it's a very weird thing that's, that's happening with criticism. And it's, there's a lot of things contributing to it. Both, I think about how uh, accessible the artists are and like the barriers that have been broken down on social mm -hmm. media where critics, you know, now want to be friends with, the artists, or maybe they already are friends from mm -hmm. having a friendly interaction. And there's this value to having your, your story shared by the artist itself. Cause that can happen. Now you can see it on your feed. Right. So then you say something glowing cause you, cause you want that rush, right. You want that like mm -hmm. adrenaline of like, Ooh, they saw it. They liked it. Now I'm going to, now I'm going to be their friend. And it's, it's, it's really, and also we see artists when they are even just minorly criticized, go nuts and yes. and try and to get uh, like activate an army activate of their, their army. fans against the critic for being a critic 
And it's really, I mean, like the critic artist relationship has always been a tough one, but I think we're at an especially dangerous place now where it can get really nasty. It's crazy. I mean, it is like, that is such a great point too, because the whole social media thing, and and it used to be on the local level, you'd kind of have that, you know, and and of course, Rolling Stone, you know, Jan Wenner was always helping out his friends, you know, there's Uh always behind you know years later people will write memoirs and stuff like this and you know you gotta just think about what bob guccini jr was doing and yan winter was doing and all this stuff over those years and and it's all this they all start participating in that facade you know one of the great things i found out in that book about yan winter is that rolling stone was so closely associated with john lennon during the 70s, you know, until his death. You wouldn't be able to tell from the amount of times he was on the cover. (laughs) (laughs) And then, but it turns out that that he got mad at Yan Wenner in around 1970, and -hmm. he had just not talked to him for 10 years. Right. But kind of kept it all thing. And then once he died, you know, it was very convenient for Yoko Ono to keep playing up the, the thing. And so, you know, there's all these things that go on behind the scenes, which again, it's fair. It's Yan Wenner's newspaper. He can do whatever he wants, right? I, I just really believe in a multiplicity of voices. It's so important. And it's just weird these days because it used to be that newspapers would have a bunch of different newspaper newspapers. Cities would have different newspapers. You know, there used to be Spin, Musician, The New York Times, Variety, Billboard, Time Magazine. They would all review a record and kind of get a... And so now it's a little more difficult and the whole idea of criticism is gone and... Um, And I think people don't want to hear criticism of music as much. I think that people kind of want to like what they want to like and they want to think it's good and they don't want to hear about it. Because we have such a niche, especially like as we've segmented off and gotten nicher and more and more niche, I can listen to only songs that I like. You know, and I, it's very I can, easy for you to do that. You don't have to switch radio stations or like you can you're in control of, of what you listen to when you listen to it. And I don't have to actually even think about whether it's good. Yeah. I mm-hmm. can only think about whether I like it. I, I just don't think we, there's an appetite for criticism right now for with music i think in other areas i do i think there's still like an appetite for film and television criticism and i think there's still an appetite in some ways for like other types of art but Mm -hmm. for some i think music people it is such a personal and it can be such a private um you know experience that you have with the music that you like or that you identify with or that you identify as a fan of this artist or this genre or whatever it's like it's so and those fandoms tend to be the strongest ones exactly yeah yeah Yeah. it's like you know people do that with movies to a degree you've got your boondock saints guys from college but like (laughs) (laughs) but but i mean like you know you don't see yeah you don't see like uh sofia coppola fans the way you do taylor swift fans like you don't exactly. see it's way more personal and that drives a deeper fandom which then turns into standum mm-hmm. uh, oh, and that yes. that is very intense but but bill i appreciate that you are you remain a true critic in an era where, where the critic is is going away and I, I appreciate that you have principles too <laughs> and, and one other point that and, and people like me too when you're an editor you you want to print people whose views you disagree with I mean, mm-hmm. I really want to make that clear that that it's not like I'm right. I have no, <laughs> I'll argue with you all day about why Queen is there and it's the right reason, but I would bend over backwards to let someone write a piece talking about how great Queen was in response. You know what I mean? Right. It's not that 
it's to the exclusion of all others is that everyone gets to say and people get to think, right? Mm -hmm. Well, why don't we take a little bit of a break and then when we come back, let's get into the new inductees and where they might fall into this Bill Wyman ranking of the inductees. So we'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We hope you had a nice break. We hope over your break, you clarified the dimensions and stats <laughs> of someone you just met. All right. So <laughs> let's get to this list, this vulture list. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Bill. I don't think that it was ever published what the update was with the 2020 Inductees. Yeah, I think, so. I think last year it was just such a screwed year. Yeah. So that's what I'm working on right now is putting everything in, all the ones from last year, Whitney Houston, et cetera. And then this year, Foo Fighters, Tina Turner, Carol King, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, cool. So we are going to discuss both years then. Yeah, so just, just to review, and for anyone who doesn't know, this is just the performers, no side categories. And so, so does will- that mean we will not be discussing LL? Because we're considering and craftwork, are we Correct. considering them in craft, a side that means, category? That means craftwork and LL do not get to be ranked. And I know Bill has very strong opinions about LL Cool J. <gasps> I know it's very odd, and and because I really respect people, you know, I know a lot of people in the hip hop community. I know, you know, I've talked to so many people, and they are very vehement about it. Mm-hmm. And there's all sorts of weird things that go on because, you know, whenever you're, you know, whether it's heavy metal or whatever, you have people have strong feelings. And I really respect that. I, and I'm happy saying I might be wrong. I might be wrong in LL because so many people say he's such a seminal artist. Mm-hmm. And again, I was a critic through all that period. I reviewed LL. I saw him open for Run DMC and Houdini. I saw him play at the University of Chicago. I, to me, he's always symbolized unfulfilled potential. Like mama said, knock you out. Wow, what a song. Right, I mean, just one of the great songs of the era. And then that was it. You know, like, I just thought he just Okay, grabbed- wow, actual shade to doing it wild, you know, <laughs> like, um, that's a real... What? I think doing it is a great song as well. Doing it I think after mom said knock you out he that was the comeback and then he came back and had a bunch of hits yeah I just thought I just thought it never he never did it and then in the decades since he's become such a tool like for the Grammys and stuff like this so I just lost all respect for him I just think he's got like a 10 person uh, PR operation just going all the time and so I I gotta say I might be wrong about it and that's one of the things I was going to say in this thing that you know, maybe sometimes you have blind spots, but I, I, I've always felt comfortable with that just because I felt like I watched his career so closely. But it could be that I'm missing something about his actual importance in the evolution of, I would say, I think you can make a case from that there is such a thing as pop slash hip hop or hip hop pop, you know, like, like Alice Cooper is hard rock pop, like mm-hmm. it's hard rock. But it's really just it's pop poppy. Music, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think you can make that case for him and I don't buy it. Well, I, I mean, the thing that we've talked about when we talk about him on our show and one of the biggest things that makes him important and in my opinion, very hall worthy is that he was a crossover artist as far as like rap for women. 
literally like in like love singing rap to the ladies, songs, lover singing man. to the ladies, being a lover man. And then, and then you look at his 90s comeback. He was very of that era, but like smooth. He made a lot of he made a kind of a lot of like sexy rap songs that weren't super misogynist. I mean, like he did a good job of appealing to women and also not being quote unquote soft. And and also he was the first rapper to try to do that. LL is ladies love, you know, like, mm-hmm. he, and it's from the, true. From the get go, that, that's From what... the get go, he's like, this is who I am. This is what I'm here to do. And like, there were not a lot of rappers trying to, there were a lot of rappers saying that they were lover men, but that like, he was like, this is who I am. I'm putting it in the name. It is what it says. It says what it is. And set the template for the, for the rap comeback. And, you know, was the first solo rap megastar you know, which is an important part of the evolution of the genre and, you know, the, the story of music. Just the introduction given- of the Kangol hat. <laughs> <laughs> no shirt, Kangol hat, gold chain. That's a look. Keep it. <laughs> Not that he's the only one who ever did a Kangol hat. Don't run DMC, come, come at me. But he's an icon, especially when you think of the fact that he had two separate set, like, even if he had just had his like early years stuff, he would still be important. But the fact yeah. that he had that comeback and that then had a whole nother set of hits for a whole nother generation, that to me is even elevates him even more. I have to say, you guys, that is the best defense of him I have ever. And I've had yelling fights with, not yelling fights, but people in the, in the Passionate. industry and stuff like that about. Yeah. But I think that's kind I think that, because I think that's another interesting argument, the walk where you, you know, making that argument for a particular, because like in certain ways, obviously the Go-Go's are, an in, are a minor act on certain levels. You know, they were really only around for a couple of years, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But as the first female group that wrote all their own songs, and yada, yada, you know, you make all these different things. And I think, I think both of what you're saying is a really, frankly, a better spirited defense than I've heard before. But, but like I said, I have issues with him because of all the Grammy. I hate the Grammy so much. And he was such a <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm going to really think about that. That's a great. Well, here's the other thing: we, we, you're not going to rank him, right? You don't have yeah, to. He's... Thing, but I'm going to discuss him somewhere along sure, the way. Of course, you know? yeah, yeah. But you don't have um, to worry about ranking him. You, you're spared awful. from that uh, scorn uh, from the public. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, just to review who we're who we're ranking here. Not only yeah. is it this year Tina Turner, Carol King, Go Go's, Todd Rundgren, Jay Z, Foo Fighters, but we also have to place Notorious B.I.G., Nine Inch Nails, Whitney Houston, Depeche Mode. Uh, the Doobie Brothers and T-Rex. Well, do you want to talk about women for a second? Because I think this is one of the most interesting things about the Hall. Yeah. The original sin of the Hall of Fame, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and this is worse than anything else, is the systematic exclusion of women out of the nominating committee. It is unspeakably bad. And the reason is, is that there's a lot of things in the world that are sexist and, you know, whatever. There's no, hardly any female artists. There's hardly female executives. There's almost no female producers, et cetera, et cetera. And you can make all those arguments. It's like, look, there just haven't been that many relatively female superstar rock artists. And so that's shown in the whole thing. But the idea that there's not female fans and that females aren't allowed to make these distinctions is I mean, it's just crazy. And nobody calls the hall on this enough. And this whole thing about females in the Hall of Fame, we can talk about that, but this whole thing that people should... The worst thing about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is that there's hardly any women on Mm -hmm. the nominating committee. There never has been, and it's outrageous. 
Yeah, and they and they kind of get away with it because of the secretive nature of the nominating committee. Yeah. But we can access that information. We do. We've talked to probably most of the women that are yeah, on like, the nominating I, yeah, committee. We talked to all the women on the non-com. We Not quite, to- but but close to it. And it is something that there's there's really no excuse for it. And it it, it is something that the hall should be shamed about more so it is just it is way more public and the information is way more out there about the inductees which you can rightfully get upset about then like the average person doesn't it's not going to understand you have to first begin to explain to them what the nominating committee is and then they fall asleep and you're like well i (laughs) i tried and beyond the nominating committee and we talk about this on the show all the time is because of the nature of the voting body too it's the nominating committee has some power and yes they create the ballot but then beyond that the vast voting body based on the fact that all of the years prior have been these all white all male bands of you know four to seven freaking people get put in you get you know 60 white new white guys every year added to the voting body then how are you going to even it's just perpetuating it's 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 its own just ouroboros of problem yeah it's so you know and particularly like critics you know and i think of those like, I can't imagine being on a body that didn't have any women like that, you know, particularly the critics, you know, De Curtis, Bill Flanagan, um, you know, even little Steven, Lenny Kay, all those people, they should just say, we are not going to be on a committee that doesn't have uh, more. I mean, and again, just so people know, we're talking, I think the, av- I mean, it's gone a little higher and lower, but like an average of 10% or less over the years, if you can imagine. Yeah. What, do you it, know what the makeup is at all, Joe, this year? What- at, the, at the moment, I think if I had to off the top of my head, I would say there's probably about 30 people in the committee and there's no more than, there's no more than 10 women. I'm and going. Yeah, I would be really it? surprised with that. But the thing is, they've been working people. And so it's possible that they're going to start, you know, doing that. And maybe Sykes is going to try to do something. But still, it's just unbelievable to me that well, we that- also I have such a skewed view because we talk to a lot of the women on the nominating committee and we mm-hmm. talk to a lot of female rock critics and female music writers and things like that. And so in my head, I'm like, well, but if you base it on who we're talking to, I'm like, they're doing OK. <laughs> but I always forget. How could I? They're the worst. You know, I've been in the industry for so long, like I can just look at the list. And, you know, you just understand who's there. You know, you got, you know, back in the day, you had Erdogan, you had Phil Spector, you had Seymour Stein, you had Clive Davis. And like, these guys are like, you know, like I was like, I was saying like the head of publicities were like governors, you know? So mm-hmm. like guys who are running the labels are like presidents, presidents of small countries, you mm-hmm. know, with standing armies. And mm-hmm. so, you know, they're not there having their minds changed or things like that. They're there too. Oh, and we, we do know that. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, we've and tried to change. I mean, we've tried to change some of the minds, maybe some, maybe one name you already brought up, but it's, and they also, these people come from the boys club of the record industry. And when, and especially when they've been in that boys club for decades, and then they start something else that they continue the spirit of, of what they're, what they're coming from. And it's hard to break that up or change change any minds and people get bounced out too again you mm-hmm. know there's all those people you know mm-hmm. if you talk up a little too much if you talk out of turn if you're a little too whatever like i'm sure like 
imagine how many of those people jumped up and down and yelled and made little scenes over the years in that stupid meeting room. And then there's people who do stuff like that who aren't in the cool club and they get bounced out, you know, men yeah. and women. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, anyway, it's just, and, and then you have the geographical issue. There's no geographical diversity in there. You have all these rampant conflicts of interest. And then it makes all the other stuff even worse. And that the fact that there's all these other inequities, because when you have that much power, like one of the big scandals about Yan Winter supposedly is that one year Dave Clark Five was getting in, but I think it was Grandmaster Flash. Yeah. You know, there's some scandal that they said, oh, he threw out Dave Clark Five and got Grandmaster Flash in it. You know, frankly, to his credit, I think, you know, it's one of those weird calls that it's fine. Look, at, we really want to make it clear we need hip hop in the hall. You know, it's, it's unethical, but if it did happen, fine. But then there's all these other things he could have done to make sure that Carol King was in, that Tina Turner and Diana Ross were in before Stevie Nicks, and, you know, all these kind of basic, you know, equality issues. Well, we talk about that on the show, too. I mean, we really covered it in our last episode, the idea that, like, you know, they have the power to change things. (laughs) They act like they don't. They act like, oh, our hands are tied. We just can't help it. This is how the votes go. And this is how this is just how it's going. And it's like, no, you actually can just put people in the hall. You can just do it. If you're sick of nominating them, you can just put them in. If you think they were important, you can just put them in. I mean, this year was an mm-hmm. example of that that power being exercised <laughs> it happened this year because and they, they just, didn't put any women yeah. in just automatically but the you know what are you gonna do and did, have you guys talked about that that so-called rule about the if you get nominated for six years it's a, something they have not utilized since the very beginning of the hall which is the idea that if you are on seven consecutive ballots in a row then you automatically get inducted. And it only happened to two artists and it was in the seventh year of the hall. So like they were nominated in the first, second, blah, 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 all the way to the seventh. It was Frankie Lyman and the Teenagers and Dwayne Eddy. And since then that has not happened. We have not seen anybody on the ballot seven years in a row and not get inducted. Patti Smith was on the ballot seven years in a row, but she got inducted on that seventh year. So they've never had to use that. I also don't know if they know about it because I think the people who came <laughs> up with something- it aren't around anymore. Like, you oh, know, okay. the, the committee, I don't know. It just seems like if they knew it was a, a possibility that they could have made use of it, but they have not. And it's a way to get people like LL who they clearly want to yeah. get in or craft work, or it's, it would be a way to do that. And there's a precedent for it. And why don't they just do it? That's the other thing. It's so weird. Like sometimes I think they're stoned and kind of, you know, there's another thing about the record industry too, that again, over the years, you just get this feel for the psyche of it. And there is this kind of like stone kind of idiocy to it. It's like, there's a simple thing. Cause even seven years, I think is too much. And again, I don't much like LL Cool J, but if all the bozos on the nominating committee for four or five years in a row are trying to get them on and the voting membership won't go, just make the rule. And like, mm-hmm. and you know, because that's like a balance of powers thing, which is a totally legitimate thing. And like, mm-hmm. and just be done with it. And just basically says the nominating committee is going to make sure certain people get in because for the greater good of the institution, which mm-hmm. and that way, that's how you get some of these people in. And the whole voting membership is a whole other scandal. But um, uh, <laughs> and then the way they keep mixing up, you know, our friend on uh, Future Rock Legends does such a good job on this. The way they've been messing up the musical excellence and the non-performer and all that categories is insane. Like to say that Crackwork isn't really a rock band, that it's an influencer, is in, to say that LL is, is crazy. Then you also get the sense like, 
you know, again, I think Ringo Starr is fine, but he just doesn't get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a solo artist because he had a pathetically stupid, silly solo <laughs> career except for two songs that George Harrison and John Lennon kind of wrote for him. You know, he just right. doesn't get this like, oh, musical excellence. Like Jeff Beck should be a musical excellence. He shouldn't be in the hall. He's an amazing guitarist and he has a fairly insignificant mm -hmm. solo career. Put him in as a musical excellence guy. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. You have, so, yeah, exactly. Mary Clayton in as musical excellence. You know, there's so many things you can do. And it's like they have all the tools right there in front of them. And then it's like, oh no, we got to do stuff, you know. I also get the feel like sometimes they're stoned, you know, and just kind of. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it, I don't even know what to say other than let me in there. <laughs> let, let me in there. I'll, let me in. I'll resurrect old rules. I'll sort it all out. I, I promise. Joe, you know what? You could be like the parliamentarian of the rock hall. You like decide and, what yeah. the rules are. You say whether it's permissible or That's not. That's true. That's true. It does sometimes feel like they need, they need someone like that who, because I know that they don't pay attention the way that I do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm serious. I am not joking. I really think you'd be in this would be an excellent job for you. Rock Hall par parliamentarian. I'm like. available. I'm available. <laughs> uh, so I know, Bill, looking at the inductees this year, I guess we could kind of start. What amount of work have you put into ranking these new inductees at this point? Well, yeah, well, I'm, I've really been thinking about it. And, you know, like, for example, like Foo Fighters, this is another thing that drives me crazy. And, and like commerciality is a really interesting construct, as I'm sure you guys have mm -hmm. talked about. Oh, yes. About. It's uh, one of our categories. <laughs> it's so interesting. Okay. And speaking as a critic, just to get this clear to people, when you're popular, again, like I was saying about Queen, life is so great. I mean, you can make so much money. People have no idea. The first-class flights, the four-star, five-star hotels, you know, the, the way your life is, is insane, okay? You get the Billboard Awards. You get the People's Choice Awards. You get to go on Ellen. You get to be on the whatever. You know what I mean? There's so many things that happen, and there's so much money, and you do these ads, and you know, people don't even see the watch ads you do in Japan or in Brazil. <laughs> and the thing is, that's fine. That's great. That's the world. Then they go, oh, well, we should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, too. It's like, no. You know, don't they you don't have enough. It's like, you're already popular. You also want to be respected? Right. <laughs> and so, but people should just know that, that, is, that, that that's the argument against why you don't get in just because you're popular, because you've had your reward for being popular. Listen, like, the captain yeah. of the football team is already prom king. He doesn't need to be valedictorian. Right. No, exactly. Thank <laughs> you. So, so we get into this thing of like people like Foo Fighters, like, and Bon Jovi, and even Def, like, with all respect to Dave Grohl, who's a nice guy, I'm sure. Everybody I think says it. That's always the, the preface before you Literally get it. Literally everybody. The, you got to start with Dave Grohl is a really nice guy. What a smile him and that drummer have. I mean, the team. Oh, yeah. Taylor, come on. And the thing about the Foo Fighters is that the world would not be any different if they hadn't existed. You know, they were just... They're not a... There wouldn't be alternative radio currently. That's the thing that people argue. seem to argue with us for their inclusion is that they've kept it alive. Five years down the road, 10 years or whatever, fine, put them on. But this thing, like they're so important, they get in on the first year and all that stuff is such... It's like, it's, it's just... It's like, garbage and oh. it's not true. <laughs> Joe, do you 
Are you an, a Foo Fighters advocate, Joe? I'm I'm not, but I will I will maybe defend them in the. Sometimes our arguments can get so extreme where it becomes like they suck and they've never had a song that anyone knows, and it's like yeah, no, we have good. to we have to they're, dial it back a little. They're very bit. good and a serviceable rock band. They are good. It's what we what we just said, which we always say, which is that like, yeah, they probably deserve to be in the Rock and Hall of Fame, but the idea that like they get in on the first year and Radiohead did not, it's like, well, you know, they can wait a little bit. I think it's going to be okay. And you just know that there's this all these people in the room that you know. And I again, I first wrote my thing like three or four years ago now, and and even back then, you know, the the, the Foo Fighters have been so good. They go to the ceremonies, they induct people, they glad hand. Play the game. They we're really like, oh, do. Dave in, oh Dave, who we all love Dave. And you just go, get the fuck out of here. I mean, it is just preposterous. And it's like Stevie Nicks. I mean, who doesn't like Stevie Nicks? Fleetwood Mac is one of the greatest bands of all time. She's a great songwriter. And her solo career is completely uninteresting. Mm-hmm. And how did she, you know, you compare her to Tina Turner or Diana Ross, which, you know, again, I hate to control women shouldn't just be con- compared to women, you know, but she would, just, you know, she wore the same stupid top hat. You know, she had the same, like, like. You will never catch me dissing Stevie Nicks's fashion ever, ever, ever. I do think her solo career is thin, but the fashion will never, ever receive even a modicum of critique from me. No, it's fine. She's an amazing person, but you know, you just figure that these guys in the room and Jimmy Iovine and all these people, like, like and Irving. You know, you got to imagine Irving's involved in God, in her in double induction. I, even consider her as a so yeah. it's just so crazy and so it's strange now are we do you think are we of the new artists we're re-ranking foo fighters are you putting them in the kiss rush chicago dregs a little bit higher a little bit lower really yeah they should there's nothing offensive about them and i have two issues with them one obviously they shouldn't be on the first thing and two just as a band and again i come from totally the nirvana DC hardcore, that's just my whatever. Mm-hmm. I have Sensibility. He, he was a gracious presence during every, I mean, imagine what he had to go through in the 90s. I mean, how terrible was that? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I try to think as objectively, just as an artist, I mean, he's definitely, you know, on the lower half of the list. And then this whole thing of him coming in first, I'm afraid I'm going to have to dock him. <laughs> a few points. A few points. I don't think Jay-Z, and I don't think Jay-Z should go on either on the first thing. And, and this is why about him. I mean, I think the argument for him is that he epitomized this hip hop corporate. He's he's corporate hip hop, basically. He's like a machine. He's like, um, he's not like General Motors or anything like this, but he's just a really well run <laughs> company, diversifies. He never is off message. He's completely impenetrable. I don't think he has a soul. I don't think he has anything to say. He said one little whisper about Trump, you know, the last four or five years. He's one of the most prominent cultural figures in the world. And like during the Trump years, he's hiding under his desk because he's afraid to come out and say anything. So I just don't respect him as an artist or a person. So I don't think sure. he should come out on the first thing, but I understand he's an important figure in hip hop. And I think Extremely. that's- Extremely. Yeah. He's like, a he's an icon. He's one of the top- he's Artists like of all time. Artists in, of, of all time. Like I'm, I'm shocked to hear you say you don't think he's a first ballot. To me, he is like the epitome of first ballot. He's put out hit records for so long. And he, I mean, he has grown as an artist in ways that 
other people have not had a chance to because they were uh, murdered. But like, you know, he he has, I, I think it's interesting to dock him for diversifying and being successful in in the corporate game. You know, I, I think that's an interesting thing to say, like, oh, he's not political enough. And also he's too capitalist. Like, I, those are both things that I personally agree with. But like, I don't know if, uh, if he that- still has the he's to me he still has like the the records to to back it up the music uh, consistently over a long period of time. Yeah, I think his yeah I think his recorded work is up and down, but I just don't trust him as an like I don't think he's authentic. But again, he's an important person. I really want to yes, right. I, just despite the vibes you're picking up from him, <laughs> I'm just not sure that, like running a cool business is a as an artist, you know, I mean, it's hard to distinguish it, but I'm basically fine with him. Now let's talk about I, someone who I think is going to rank very highly for you and someone you've talked about their exclusion from the perspective of it being an egregious injustice, which is Todd Rundgren. Oh yeah. You know, it's kind of funny because the list I originally made, like they're really getting a lot of the most important exclusions, you know, like Carol King, Tina Turner, Todd Rundgren, you know, they should have been I still think Joy Division New Order, it should be in before mm-hmm. the cure Nash mode, for example. But Todd Rundgren, again, there's this interesting thing about the Hall of Fame that I don't know if people get this that I wrote about that, that the Hall of Fame doesn't like boys who dress up as girls. And it doesn't and like. You got Roxy Music, you got T Rex. I mean, the, those the, both took very long time, and, you have to remember. No, they and, took decades. I mean, that's the whole point that, that, you know, Roxy, you know, you have all these bands that were directly influenced by Roxy getting in. And um, they didn't like glam. I've always thought that Todd Rundgren, who obviously isn't gay or anything, I don't think, but you know, he was kind of glammy. And as a producer, right, again, I don't know if people know this. I mean, we're just Patti Smith's ways, Meatloaf, Bad Out of Hell, We're an American Band by Grand Funk, Skylarking, Forever Now by the Psychedelic Furs. He produced the first um, New York Dolls album. Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, does he go in under musical excellence then? I mean, as far as if we're going to include his producing career in our thoughts of him as an artist. Um, That's a good argument, too. You know, he is one of those weird guys who has these musical talents that are kind of mind blowing. You know, he he wrote, produced, arranged and performed his albums all by himself, like Stevie Wonder. And he's kind of an but he's kind of a goofball. And obviously he doesn't play the game. And, and, and uh, has spoken out against the hall, you know, has been has been pretty, if not ambivalent, outwardly, fuck you to the hall. And like, I'm not showing up. And, you know, that I don't think that don't think that helped. Yeah. <laughs> and, I think, and there's a there's a category that isn't talked about, like people like who's that female singer songwriter from the 70s um, who wrote Laura Nero. Yeah, Laura Nero, who's in as a performer, even though like her induction, you feels like. It encapsulates her importance as a songwriter in addition to being just a performer. I don't think she quite qualifies, but I respect the impetus to put in people like her, Kate Bush, if she gets mm-hmm. in, just people who are just oddball geniuses. And I think mm-hmm. that Todd Rundgren kind of is in that realm a little bit, you know, that there's this, you know, that at a certain point, there's just these people who you just kind of go, look, I don't know what the fuck they're doing, but there's something there. There's something so. there. He's, yeah. I mean, I think he's interesting. He doesn't, it necess- his induction doesn't thrill me. Like I'm not excited by it, but I'm not annoyed. I am slightly annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> Just think about the Doobie Brothers, Almond Brothers, you know, these hairy, pursuit, not very good looking, slobby, 
moribund, you know, guys noodling or singing the blues or yeah. doing mm-hmm. loose stuff, right? Yeah. Then, like, I don't like look at some of these videos of Todd Rundgren. I mean, oh, he, yeah. would, he would be painted like a gay butterfly and be appearing on these TV shows. And he just, and then he does space rock. And he was just, just one of those figures who told people, you know, in that secret way that people like David Bowie did and, and certain other people that it was okay to be different, that it was okay to, you know, And not just that it was okay, that it was like cool, that it's transgressive and cool. And that like, there's a place for you and that like people like it, that it's not just like, it's okay. This is like something special and good. And so sometimes those people don't get really, um, and I think you kind of see that a little bit about Alice Cooper even, who I don't really like that much, but in a weird way, they kind of dressed up gay a little bit or dressed up in drag. And, um, you know, and again, I came from this world where people got beat up for doing that, mm-hmm. you know, and so mm-hmm. you just kind of, I give those people credit. But but I think that the hall is I mean, the hall has a long way to go with, you know, queer artists and any sort of, you know, diversity in any way, shape or form. The fact that we're like straight men who wore makeup, that's diversity. That's like, for that. the hall, like crawling your way to an actual <laughs> queer artist is, you know, maybe yeah. someone who subversively put on makeup, <laughs> you know, a straight cis man yeah. who put on makeup. So anyway, so I think that's good. And then the other long awaited thing, again, the reason I disparage Stevie Nicks so much is that Tina Turner, Diana Ross and certain other people, they really burst out of that world they were in. You know, Tina Turner most, she was in a terrible world and Diana Ross less so. And then they reinvented themselves, took control of their career, got new producers. And, you know, Diana Ross had a sensational 1970s. I mean, you remember, mm-hmm. remember she loved Hangover? I got the sweetest hangover. song and then she hooked up with the sheet guys right mm-hmm. yeah and, and then had um, yeah another phase which of, of has she ever she's songs. never been nominated Mm-mm, no it, it's a similar thing you know she got in the, the, the supremes and then they were like washing their hands and said that's that and she had a great, i mean by any standard she had a great i mean i forget and, and i was arguing with someone on facebook about this about diane warwick and Diana Ross did everything Dan Warwick did in terms of being an adult contemporary star and easy listening, a pop diva. And then she did Love Hangover, which was in the heart of disco. And then she did the I'm Coming Out album, which is just incredible, which even took mm-hmm. it to the level. And same with Tina Turner, I mean, and, and I think I made a joke, I forget where, that, you know, people go, oh yeah, Tina Turner, she had some hits in the 70s. It's like, I said, if you think that's easy, <laughs> okay, to turn yourself <laughs> pop icon for decades i have a used copy of she's the boss <laughs> which was mick jagger's first solo album i mean uh-huh. mick jagger tried for 10 years to unload the rolling stones and turn himself into a global pop superstar on his nope. own and he couldn't do it mm-hmm. and tina turner did it you know and just got bigger and bigger she's like this amazing you know, person control in her own uh, career. And yeah. um, so much respect for that. I just think, you know, what a great icon for. Yeah, we are thrilled with her induction this it's, year. Yeah, very it's... exciting. Bill, can I give you a visual of the artists we have yet to rank here and force you at the very least to put them in order <laughs> with themselves okay. and maybe in order in the list? Yeah. 
So we've got the 2020 class and the 2021 class, and I have the ability to move artists around here up and down to give them. And we can start to, if we want to start on the smaller level within the two classes where they rank and then let's just do that. Okay. It'll be less. Yeah. (laughs) Instead of trying to put them into the entirety. We'll get us started. You want to say, I don't want to be held to this, okay? Because I'm just kind of Yes, yeah, yeah. This is not canon. We want to help you think about this. And obviously, this is is by no means publishing. You know, this is, uh, this will come out and it's where you are at the moment, maybe, but we're not, we're not, you know, printing it. And it people should understand it changes and then it's all kind of relative because it's really important that as a solo artist, Tina Turner be in there, right? But at the same time, she's not as important as the Stooges or whatever as a solo artist, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's all these kind of weird, you know, but on the other hand, I think you could make the argument that, I mean, as a solo artist in relationship to Eric Clapton, I mean, Eric Clapton did Layla as a solo artist basically, but then, and I shot the sheriff and then kind of things went to hell. And so I think but then I he came back. You know, he was another that, person who had to come back. Right. But I mean, I, I still don't think he's, you know, I don't think he needs to be in as a solo artist, really. But, you know, so it's all kind of relative. And then the other thing I always say is that, you know, number 90 versus 125 really doesn't matter. It's just yeah, kind of right. Yeah. <laughs> but so Tina Turner, I think, should be up higher. T Rex should be up higher. All right. Like, so let's, let's, let's start to put, let's start to put these guys yeah. up top. I love this. I feel like, uh, yeah. it's minority report where they're moving, <laughs> uh, things around on the Carol screen. Thing definitely up there. Let's put Carol up there. Cause again, people forget that like for almost 10 years, she had the largest selling record of all time. It stayed on the top 200 for pretty much the whole decade. Just unbelievable, important person. She's like one of the most egregious, um, oversights. Okay. So Foo Fighters down toward the bottom, Depeche Mode toward the bottom Ooh. because just of these people, just because I think the Joy Division is more much more important than Depeche Mode. And it just pisses me off that the the Hall keeps going to these commercially um, important acts and they kind of and again I think this is a factor, I don't want to say it's a factor necessarily a factor of not having enough women on the nominating committee because it doesn't matter. I mean they could have half women on the nominating committee and it could still be as corrupt and stupid as it is now. I mean the point isn't yes. for women to be equality better. means that women can also be corrupt and stupid. <laughs> right. I will also tell you that one, I know that Depeche Mode is a group that is very popular with women and specifically that Depeche Mode was nominated in the nominating committee by a woman. So right. I will okay. just, no, I'm sure they, they, you know, women have a right to be just as whatever, but uh, <laughs> I also this will, is def- equality. <laughs> I'll, de- I'll defend Depeche Mode to, to the end. And, and, we don't okay, have to really do that honestly, now, but and I'm not being captious, but is Depeche Mode more important than New Order and Joy Division? Well, here's the here's the deal. I don't think you necessarily dock a group points because they happen to get in before another group. I like, and Kristen knows this, fight for Joy Division New Order nonstop on this show. Yes. I think they're one of the biggest snubs. I also feel yeah. very strongly about them getting in together. I think it would be a, a huge disservice for Joy Division to get in by itself, and then later you have to induct New Order by itself, which just seems like a waste of time. Obviously, they're an evolution of, of the same group. At any rate, I do think they should have got, yeah, you're right. They come before the cure. They come before Depeche Mode. The reality is, you know, the other groups got more traction and they and they got in first. I don't think you necessarily uh, that doesn't detract from those groups because the you know, the whole the history of the hall, the, it's everything's out of order. 
Yeah, I totally agree. And I will cop to this being like, A, I think New Order just, you know, Blue Monday is one of the most important records of the, the 80s, right? But I was in um, working at a college uh, record store and I will just never forget, you know, you open all these boxes, you know, LP records and this 12 inch from England, this heavy, super heavy vinyl. And we put it on the store and there was this guitar, brum, brum, brum. And then all of a sudden the guitar, people forget, the, in, in Love Will Tear Us Apart, the guitars stop and then it becomes a synth song. And I've always thought that's yeah. the end of punk rock and the beginning of post-punk and mm -hmm. the new romantic, new the and everything, just right in that like second. That. And I just remember we just played it in the record store and we're just going, oh my God, what a great song. And we just played it for, so that's one where I just have this personal thing and I just felt, mm -hmm. wow, the world uh, was changing there. So where are you putting the Doobie Brothers? Well, it's kind of weird because they're another band. Like I, I, I just said, it's such a great rock and roll story. I mean, A, the Doobie Brothers were a big band in the 70s. You know, they're as big as, you know, they're a better rock band than Chicago, for example, or Deep Purple, right? I mean, they, they have a stupid name. They but, really do. A lot of stupid, stupid names in this one. We got Foo Fighters, Doobie Brothers. Good God. But I also <laughs> love the story of Michael McDonald. And I think I said this in one of my pieces, but I don't know if you've ever seen the Doobie Brothers video for What a Fool Believes. I don't think I have. But the Doobie Brothers were just this kick-ass, guitar-driven, two or three guitar, churning. Yeah, they, I mean, they, they came out of biker culture, you know? That's like the <laughs> origins of the Doobie Brothers. Like, they were like friends with the Hells Angels and stuff in San Jose. And then if you find What a Fool Believes, they're all sitting there going, What a Fool Believes. <laughs> and, and I said in my piece, it's such a great rock and roll story. So it's kind of a perverse one, you know, that mm -hmm. it isn't as dramatic as Genesis or anything, but there's something poignant there. So, okay, now, oh God, these are hard. Yeah, I'm like, but where um, do you put them, Bill? Yeah, okay, so I think we should put Jay-Z just below Carol King. Okay. Um, I'm gonna knock Notor um, Biggie down because I just think he shouldn't have gotten in in first ballot. And I think These are some wild uh, opinions on, on first year hip hop artists. Yeah. Okay, definitely Go-Go's up by Carol King. Yeah. And again, I'm, I'm kind of putting Jay-Z down a little bit because I don't think he'd necessarily be in first ballot, but whatever. Um, yeah, so Depeche Mode down at the bottom just because I don't think they're as important as whatever. God, now, yeah, Todd definitely above Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> and, then, Great. Um, and now Whitney, I'm really torn about because it's just like the Deanne Warwick thing. Like, I think the argument is that they're great singers and they're basically pop, easy listening singers, but they come out of R&B and they're brilliant enough that they should be in under those traditions, right? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, she's another person that, you know, she got all the money in the world. She has one of the best-selling albums of all time and several of the best-selling albums of all time. And so I just don't care about her that much. You know, I think that- It's a classic critic thing of like, if it's, if it's popular, I'm done with it. Well, no, but, also, but she's not an authentic artist. You know what I mean? She's not singing like she's just singing love, moon, June. I'm sad. I'm I broke up, broken up with. Mm. I'm breaking up with you. But I, I mean, do think she's one, she's one of the great interpreters of all time. And I think she does she, I mean, you, an incredible amount of soul. Into all you got to do is the national freaking anthem. She managed to make that a best selling single. Song. Her interpretation of one of the, the most dumbest interpreted <laughs> and most interpreted songs of all time she like just it her the own. power of her voice <laughs> i mean it is in my that's my national anthem yeah she's kind of a sad i don't know I, I i mean i respect where they went with i will always love you which i think is a great song the bodyguard has some good songs on it 
but but now how do you like do you think Barbara Streisand should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I don't. I think part of the distinction though is that I do see Whitney as a descendant of Aretha and yeah, she- of Etta James, you know, and that is rock and roll. And it can go very much towards pop, and it obviously did, but I think that R and B core it was always there. Yeah, I mean that's the argument for her. And I don't I think that I go for her more than Dionne Warwick. I don't know. Let's just leave her for there for right now. Um, okay. We and, currently and, have we currently have Whitney in between Nine Inch Nails and Notorious yeah. B.I.G. Just a, and, and what a really- weird life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I don't know something like that. I guess. So T. Rex st- standing strong in the number two spot. We haven't heard. I mean, why. we can still we can still. Oh yeah, yeah. Play we can move them around. This, but you know. I'm just curious about your um, thoughts and feelings of p- placing them above Carol in this uh, regard. And do you have a special connection or feeling about T. Rex? The way I'm thinking about it is I'm just putting him in groups, like who were yes. the, the mm-hmm. highest ones. And I would argue T-Rex slightly below Carol, and I would maybe put them below. I, I, I like T-Rex a lot, but just given that it was a very important period, but it's basically two albums, right, of it's like the Slider and Electric Warrior, and then kind of whatever was before, whatever he was doing before that, the weird hippie shit, and whatever was after that that nobody paid attention to. Great. Like, there's this thing I want to read, but there's certain bands like him, and believe it or not, Steve Miller is like this. Oh, yeah. Um, even Cream is like this, and Edgar Winter, that their albums are insane. Mm-hmm. You listen to the album, they sound like 10 different bands contributing different tracks to them. It's very odd, those early T-Rex records, but, but he's so influential. You know, right. he, mm-hmm. and particularly the, the hall is very American centric and there's mm-hmm. so many British people that like Bowie in Britain is just, you know, next to the Beatles and, mm-hmm. you know, it would be ridiculous in England for David Bowie not to be in on the first. So, so somewhere in there and then I'm okay. I don't know, Jay-Z and the Go-Go's are cool. Todd's cool. Trent Reznor's a, a relatively serious guy and it, it's kind of funny. He's never really been my thing, but watching people go from like literally seeing him in a club, you know, to yeah, massive stadium. And and you can't like, it's kind of funny because I, I like that rock and roll authenticity where, you know, you're authentic and you're personal, you know, you're writing about personal things. So, so like, I really feel strongly, for example, that uh, Mary J should be in before Whitney because Mary J Blige is a personal artist. You know, she, she is herself, you know, there's no one telling her what to do. And, and Biggie, I, I've just never really liked Biggie and, and people really like him. And so I got to kind of say, I don't really care that much about him. If you watch the package, did you watch last year's ceremony? Yeah. That footage of him when he was like literally a youth on the street corner, just like mm-hmm. rap battling somebody, I was blown away. I'll never feel the same. I've always liked Biggie, but I already came into this a Biggie fan, but that actually blew me away in such a in such a way that I will I will never underestimate him again. Like I will always consider him truly legendary and an incredibly skilled person. Okay, and, and I take that too. And then what do you think about uh, Eric B and Rakeem? They've got to go in, but seeing that they had to put LL in a second category because yeah. the- the voters couldn't go for LL. I think about how Eric B and Rakim are not that well known mm-hmm. in the like mainstream rock community and that it would be very much an uphill battle and that they're going to have to put them in if they 
they need to put they're gonna early influence them it's gonna happen now that the early influence category is blown wide open eric b and rakim are going in there unless there is a biopic or a documentary that is very very popular that can drop some on hbo (laughs) (laughs) it can't just be popular somewhere else it's got to be on hbo so one prejudice I have when it comes to hip hop is that I don't like, like what's the Biggie song that uh, that I'm coming out? More money, um, more problems. More money, more problems. Like that is, that's a cover. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's why Puff's Puffy. production oh, is famously, doesn't do anything that interesting with the sample. Sample heavy, like, but his verse on that, I mean, is incredible. P-I-G-P-O-P-P-A, no info for the D-E-A. Federal agents mad cause I'm flagrant, tap myself. I mean, his flow and his verse, like Fine, right. the, but, the like way that he did it. Be, but he should be saying, if he's a great artist, he should say, Puffy, I- I'm not covering a Diana Ross song. Like, you know, when you look at like- He's what, saying, play the hook. He's saying, play the hook. I will- I'll take care I'll of it. I'll take care of it. Like, he doesn't care. Right. <laughs> like, you know, you can make that argument, but I can also say that why not do both? Like, why not have a good producer as opposed to just- um, <laughs> All shade to Puffy. I really look forward to the day when we start putting the hip hop producers into the musical excellence category. I think that is going to be a really great, uh, I just think it's going to be great. I think it'll happen. And some of my favorite parts of hip hop are production based. It's just so crazy to me that they can just do it. They can just put a couple of, you know, put Dre and um, uh, the Bomb Squad in or something, you know, Mm -hmm. and like, and, but the other thing, they should just evolve, you know, because the Bomb Squad didn't even do that much outside of PE. And I just basically think you got to put them in together. You just say, look at PE was, you know, if the Rolling Stones have Stu, um, Ian Stewart. Stewart you know, this is something, I don't know if people know this, that, you know, there's a screwy thing in the hall where sometimes they let people put in additional members and sometimes mm-hmm. they inconsistent and so you don't have Graham Parsons in with the birds which is crazy and you do have Ian Stewart in with the stones which is crazy and um, so there's no consistency and I just think someone has to say look at Chuck D is an amazing guy but he wouldn't be where he is without the bomb squad it's almost like they need a parliamentarian to really just like look at the rules (laughs) and say you know there's precedent for this there's not precedent for that what are we saying when we do this and then someone to really go back and also fill in the cracks and fix the holes and i don't know i do know someone who's qualified for the job but you know i'm just saying uh, well, you know, I don't think it's it's fully out of the realm of possibility for a group like the Bomb Squad, especially considering the fact that they decided to put in the E Street Band by themselves years after oh, Bruce got in. Nope. So, you know, the supporting oh my supporting players in a in an artist's career can get. And we saw, I know Ozzy isn't in solo, but you put in Randy. They put in Randy Rhodes this year. Yeah, they're just you know they put in the Jimi Hendrix Experience, right? But they didn't put in the Silver Bullet Band. They didn't put in. Patty Smith group. Yeah. And I know that Yan Wenner or John Landau or something would say, you would not fucking believe what I have to put up with on any given year with, you know, your Steve Miller or your, you know, Bob Seeger. And, you know, and then you have all the other attendant indignities and stuff like that. And, you know, and I have to say, can I name a single member of the, of the Silver Bullet Band? No. Can I name a member of the Heartbreakers? Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I can name all the members of the E Street Band. You know, so it's kind of weird, you know, and I guess if I thought of it, I could name the Jimi Hendrix experience, right? Yeah. Um, But it is kind of, 
it is uneven and Again, I just think that it's something they could have just baked in early. Well, uh, you know, Bill, looking at what you have ahead of you in terms of who you have to rank and where you have to rank them, it's going to be difficult. And I think it's actually going to be, you know, I'm not going to be super upset because I'm looking at this and I'm like, do I put this artist over someone else or I put them under? And 2020 and 2021 really are not, I wouldn't say there's a ton of duds in the class. So I, I hope to see these guys spread out throughout the, the list. T-Rex is going to be the, the highest, just to be clear, because I think that T-Rex's career is more important than Tina Turner's solo career. So just for example, like I think that, yeah, it is, it is, it is really, really hard. And I really like arguing about it. That's the kind of the crux of the show is like, whether you love or hate or do not care about the rock hall, you can find a way to have an opinion. <laughs> I feel like everybody, like if you talk about it for more than a few, like if you don't just say, oh, I don't care. And then walk away from Joe at a party, you could, if you decide to stick around and and engage in a conversation (laughs) within a few minutes, you'll start asking like, oh, is uh, Pat Benatar in? Oh, she's not. And then people are like very mad and they want to walk, you know, and then you find yourself, it is one of those it's an entry point to conversations and arguments and things about music, which is the value of our show. Hooray. She said it. Oh no. Well, you know, I, I will say I look forward to the, to where everybody falls in the new update of the vulture ranking of the rock hall inductees as determined by Bill Wyman. So thank you, Bill, for coming on the show. And, you know, I'd like to think we made an impact here today. Uh, <laughs> well, no, it was so much fun. I was, I was so looking forward to this. And, and then, you know, maybe it's also part of the pandemic. It's so much fun to have a good, intense, you know, focused conversation mm-hmm. on this kind of thing. You know, you've just been hungering for it for so long. Yeah. So. And it really helped clarify things. Really, honestly, both of you, I really enjoy this. And it did remind me a little bit of the, the radio show with Jimmy, you know, because we could just argue about anything. One of the great things about podcasts, particularly, is that there's that whole, have you had, I always say that the, the worst thing on podcasts is everyone says, oh, I agree, I agree. And mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't want to hear a podcast that two people agree. You know, I want to hear the back mm-hmm. and forth. I really learned a lot. I got some great insight. So thank you. Yeah, you know, we really, we rarely agree. But then when we do, it's, it's it's earned (laughs) (laughs) well uh bill people can follow you on twitter at hitsville absolutely but seriously thanks so much i really enjoyed talking to both of you thank you absolutely it was so great to have you and our listeners know they can follow us at rock hall pod on twitter and instagram rock hall pod at gmail.com is the email address if you want Kristen to see your message you need to designate that somewhere in there otherwise i'm not going to forward it to her because she doesn't care subscribe to us on apple Podcasts. rate and review us five stars only anything less than five stars is rude thank you to mike lloyd for the logo thank you to yusu kim for the music. Thank you to AKG for the microphone and thank you to Pantheon Podcast for hosting us. I'm Joe Quazala. I'm Kristen Studdard. And who cares about the Rock Hall? By now, you know that sound. It's the sound of the Home Depot. But what about those sounds? Those are the sounds of an LG wash tower with ultra-large capacity, serving up a powerful yet gentle clean in just 29 minutes. Making this the sound of savings on the best appliance brands. The Home Depot. How doers get more done. 
Get up to 25% off the LG wash tower with ultra-large capacity and reduced wash time. Pricing valid January 5th through January 25th, 2023. Gas dryer extra, U.S. only. See store or online for details. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC.